I'll be reading from Genesis 17, verses 1 through 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Thank you, Nadine. As Elaine was uh, sharing, I was like, we could just eat and drink and go home, and I could be silent with my wife for the rest of the day. (laughs) Good morning. It's good to be with you. We are looking at the story, the life of Abraham, and we're going to do it in a very small, short dosage. So we're, we're jumping into the story because we are looking at the story of the people of God. That's something we're committed to over the course of our Sunday gatherings over this fall in the lead up to Advent, is that we're going to attempt to look at the whole story of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament of God with his people, so that we can be reminded of who God has been to his people so that we can know who God is to us. And it helps us to answer the question of how do we live the way of Jesus in Hamilton in 2019. The way we're trying to answer that, the way we're trying to learn that, is to look back and pay attention to this inheritance that we're a part of this story that we get to join in on. And we're looking at Abraham. (laughs) I... When I read the story again of Abraham and over these chapters in Genesis, uh, I laughed to myself as I read Genesis 17. I thought, why am I doing this? I'm picking the passage about circumcision. 
Like, I'm doing this to myself. I am the only one to blame that I get to lead us through this. There are other riveting things about the life of Abraham that I'm sure are relevant for us as a community, but it is circumcision that is our topic of choice today. We talked about this as a stat. Yeah, woot. I don't know who offered that, but thank you. You're helping me out. We talked about this as a staff this week, reading this passage together, and Andrew was quite funny. He's like, oh, yeah, I think we're going to talk about Abraham with the kids, but we might not go there this week. So this probably won't be your lunchtime or dinner table conversation with your kids. <laughs> you can take a pass on this this time. I, uh, it caused me to reflect on uh, realizing I have talked about this theme before, the last time was with a bunch of high school students, and I thought, well, I'm just going to go for it. So I, I got some props. Uh, and I, I took, yeah, I might as well tell you at this point. So I had a table, and I, I laid out a butcher block, and I said, students, I, I, and I got out a large knife, I said there, and I just started sharpening it. And I'm like, there's a theme in Scripture. You read it from the beginning to end. It's in Romans, it's in Galatians. And I, pff, knife on the chopping block. Kids, today we're talking about circumcision. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all like, this guy is crazy. <laughs> Which, perhaps I am. <laughs> so you can decide that for yourself. <laughs> okay, we're good. We're ready to jump in on this? Circumcision. <laughs> it's a big deal in Scripture. If you read Scripture, I mean, it's, uh, this is the first time where it appears in Scripture, but it comes up a lot. And the reason why, and not just an Old Covenant thing, Old Covenant and New Covenant, it is a dominant theme in the letters of the New Testament. It's a, it's a big deal thing. It is an issue for the people of God. And that is because this thing of circumcision represents this thing called covenant. Covenant is so important to the life of God and his people that then circumcision is a very important representation of that covenant that God has with his people. The word covenant appears over 300 times in Scripture. You'll find it from beginning to end. We, maybe in our vernacular, we use the language of saying, oh, we have a personal relationship with God, which is true probably in a functional sort of literal way, but you're not going to find a verse in Scripture that will tell you you are to have a personal relationship with God. That's our adapted language, basically giving our interpretation of what this whole covenant thing is, and that's a way in which we are describing the relationship that God has to us and that we have with God. Covenant is a big deal. We f the first time we see it is with Noah, and it's a few chapters before, and it's God making a covenant to Noah and to his creation to say, I will not crush this thing again. It's too precious to me. I will hold on to it. I covenant myself in the expression, the representation, the marking of that covenant. God said, when you see a rainbow, it will remind you of my goodness towards you and towards creation. That's the first time that we see covenant. And then it appears again in, in Genesis 12, a few chapters earlier, 
to Abraham, whose name was Abram at that point. And God says, Abraham, I'm calling you that you would be the father of a nation, that you would be a blessing to the world, and I'm going to do something through you that is going to be for the sake of many. And he promises Abraham to be an actual father himself, to be a, a dad, a physical dad, and that out of his offspring, a family would grow that would multiply and bless the world would be a representation of God himself in the flesh to the rest of the world, to be a light to the world. The problem was that Abraham was already quite old, and his wife Sarah had not yet given him a child at the point where God showed up and said, Abraham, I want you to be a father within my family. Doesn't happen. Abraham believes it. It's credited to him as righteousness, that God can do this, but he doesn't really know how, and he tries to find his own way about it. And if you know the story, his wife suggests, well, maybe you could have a baby with another woman in our household, and that could maybe technically count. And that happens, that transpires. And then God shows up again in Genesis 17, and his words are this. He says, Abraham... He declares for Abraham to walk blameless before him. But Abraham can't. He falls to the ground. And then God declares what he will do for Abraham, what Abraham cannot do for himself. Abraham believed God when God said, I'm going to make you a father. But he didn't know how it could possibly happen. And then God says, okay, I'm going to take care of this. And in that passage, you saw maybe on repeat a whole bunch of statements that God is saying about what he's going to do for Abraham. He says, then I will make my covenant between me and you. This is my covenant with you. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. I will give an everlasting possession to you. I will be their God. God's making it very clear that the work of this covenant, he's taking it on as his own. He's doing the work on behalf of Abraham. And as Matt alluded to last week in the story of creation and in the story of scripture, that God is the main protagonist. And we find that again here, that God is the great initiator doing the work with Abraham and for Abraham to say, I love you, I'm with you, I know that you can't fulfill the weight of this whole covenant thing, so I'm going to carry that weight. And he keeps saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for you. And so Abraham has this covenant with God And it's remarkable because God is the one in whom everything holds together. He has created everything. He is powerful in every way. He is a spacious God that has created the expanse of the universe. And here he is declaring to a single person that he is going to bind himself to that person and be alongside them and do the work of this covenant thing with Abraham for the sake of many. It is remarkable 
that God is going to this length to make an everlasting covenant. It's not a conditional covenant. It's not something where every year God's going to kind of reevaluate, like, well, this isn't going as well as I thought it would. Maybe I'll go back to the terms and renegotiate something else. He's, he's declaring a commitment to Abraham that is not just for Abraham, but it is for a people to come, and we are included in that people. God is making a huge move in this. He's binding himself, and that circumcision is the representation of the weight and the magnitude of this work that God is doing, this incredible work that God is putting in motion. So why on earth, of all the things God could have done to use as a reminder, as a marker that he's setting a people apart for himself, why circumcision? <laughs> that, maybe that does not seem obvious. But we know that Abraham was given this promise against all hope because he was, as Paul writes in Romans, he says, he's so old, his body is as good as dead. We saw in the passage saying, Abraham's 99 years old and Sarah's really old too. And maybe that can feel like it gets lost because you're like, well, it's biblical times. Things are just different back then. No, it's just saying he is way too old to have kids. Far, far too old. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is a helpful example or not, but uh, Winston Churchill, who's often quite good with words, uh, was at a public function, and someone uh, very gently pointed out to him that his fly was down during a presentation. And his quick mark, remark back was, a dead bird does not fall out of its nest. <laughs> so... <laughs> So if you needed to understand what's going on with Abraham, <laughs> he's not, I don't know, I don't know, I'm going to use props for this one. <laughs> it's very, very, very clear that he is unable to have kids. Why is God letting things play out this way? If God knew and ordained that he was going to set apart a people for himself to be an expression of himself into the world, why is God letting this scenario play out like this? Why circumcision? Why, why is God stretching it out so far that it, it really has become impossible for this to happen on Abraham or Sarah's terms? I wonder that God determined himself to do the impossible, choosing to mark Abraham with a seal of his promise in the exact spot that Abraham could not accomplish or do the very thing himself. Of all the ways or of all the places God could have chosen to leave a mark and make his point, God chooses the most intimate, the most vulnerable spot on Abraham's physical body to be a reminder of what God can do for him that Abraham could not do for himself. That's the mark 
that God is then setting in motion to be for a whole people for generations and generations to be a reminder that God has done for a people what they could not do for themselves. It's in a place of complete weakness and helplessness that God demonstrates his faithfulness and his power. And I think the same is true of our lives. That God longs to meet us and mark us in the most intimate and vulnerable places of who we are. That he would be invited in to the places of our deepest identity and that our whole reality would encounter the presence of a loving God. That God would dare to meet us in places of hardship, in places of pain, in places of fear, in places of shame. So that his love and his grace could be made all the more clear. That his character can shine through the cracks and the broken places of our lives. I think this is actually the, the paradoxical beauty of the gospel is that while we were still sinners, yet Christ died for us. And if you look at the example of Paul in Scripture, he had to wrestle through this one. This is in 2 Corinthians. He's talking about a struggle that he carries that will not go away. It is a hardship that he's pleaded with God that it would not last. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, okay, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We are offered that example, but I'm not sure I can convince you of that uh, unless you've dared to go to that place yourself. And some of you have, and you know, and you've met the living God in the most exposed and hard places of your life, and you just know that you know that you know that God is good and he's with you and he's for you because you encountered him in the most unlikely of places of your own life. We, I think, are pretty good at keeping our defenses up of guarding our most intimate and most vulnerable places. And of course we would. I mean, it is a daring thing to let someone come that close to see the ugly sides of who we are. And I think God in his wisdom knows that it usually takes some kind of hardship or pain or letting our failures run their course for the, our layers to get peeled back that he would touch the innermost parts of us, that we would actually taste and experience death so that we know the hope of resurrection and new life. 
We can't know the hope of new life unless we have also known the weight of death. It's, it's both. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has lived that for us and has embodied that himself, that he has not asked us to do something that he has not done himself and done for us. I think this is the amazing redemptive work of God in our life, that this is the wondrous mystery of the gospel, that God would meet us in hard and difficult places and give us a hope that can transcend that. I'm looking at the clock. I'm supposed to be done already. (laughs) So let me uh, finish, figure out how to finish. This is the, these are the joys of being in a new space uh, and where we just have to be out by a certain time. Where circumcision is talked about, I'll, I'll put up a couple of verses here uh, in Galatians, saying, for in Christ Jesus... Uh, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts its, is faith expressing itself through love. And then, again, to say what counts is new creation. Being a part of a covenanted people with God, a people who he calls his own, he calls his family, living in this whole new covenant thing, the post-cross-resurrection work that Jesus has done, we just... I think we know this, we don't have to carry the mark of circumcision anymore. But the reason why we don't have to carry a physical mark to represent an inner reality is that Jesus now bears the mark in his hands, in his feet, in his side. He carries the physical mark of this covenantal relationship that he still carries the weight of on our behalf. And that his promise to us is new life, where the symbols of the old covenant were circumcision and the law to have mark a people that would be set apart. Now the symbols of this new covenant, this new reality that we get to live into is baptism and communion. And perhaps it's very timely that we get to celebrate baptism this afternoon. We actually had it planned a long time ago. There, there are people in our community who are participating in that action of death to life, of a, not a proclamation or declaration of saying, okay, I'm going to do a better job of being a better Christian to prove myself to the world and to God. It's actually not what baptism is. Baptism is the identification with what God has done for us and that he continues to carry the weight of this whole covenant thing and we give, get to give witness and baptism to saying that's, I'm, I'm one of his people. I'm a part of his family. My life is not my own. So if you don't have somewhere else to be at 3 o'clock this afternoon at 1401 King Street East, come celebrate people who are making that declaration this afternoon. As with a benediction, we're, that's just kind of how we're rolling these days. Some things you need to know before you go. Uh, if you didn't know already, we've changed some of our space in this building. Uh, the, the kids are in the Dickinson Hall. Basically, what you need to know right now is that as we leave this space right away, you're all welcome to hang around and to enjoy coffee together. That's in the space right directly below us. 
Next Sunday, we're inviting and asking everyone to stick around for some coffee and donuts, granddad donuts, you should know that. Uh, and that is, we realized over the last six months, our community has gone through a lot of change. We've changed spaces, we've changed times in our gathering together, we've had a growing staff team, there's been a lot of moving pieces to kind of catch up to the, what the reality already was. Uh, and if you are new to our community and you're trying to sort of figure out the life of St. Clair, or you've been a part of us and you just want to... Uh, have a better understanding of what is going on, then we're inviting everyone to stick around uh, next week for probably about half an hour to enjoy some time together, and you'll be able to hear from our leadership team and some few other people that might not always be up front on a Sunday. And in two weeks, you know that that is Thanksgiving, and for us, that is a missional family Sunday. It means we do not have a Ryerson gathering. We encourage everyone to meet in our homes that weekend with our missional families. We do that about five times a year. That's two weeks out from now. Don't come here. If you want to get connected to a missional family, you can talk to Will. He'll be at the info table, which is down below us, where you can get coffee in just a minute. Let me bless you as you go. <laughs> St. Clair... Uh, in the places that may be darkest and most difficult, the places of fear and of hardship, may you know a God who has an everlasting covenant. That he's not going anywhere. He is with you, he is for you, and he's going to carry that weight along your side. Would you know his blessing as you invite him into that place over these coming days. Go in peace. Amen.